This episode of Creativity in Captivity is sponsored by the Curtis Theater in Brea, California. Presenting Don Reed's The Never Too Late Show on Saturday, May 11th. Tickets are available at the Curtis Theater website. Get ready for insight and inspiration on the creative process from an array of artists, writers, and visionaries on May 9th, when Season 7 of Creativity in Captivity kicks off. In the meantime, please enjoy over 150 episodes hosted by Pat Hazel with a stable of creative guests in our listening lounge at creativityincaptivity.fun. This is Creativity in Captivity, Thanksgiving edition. I'm Pat Hazel, grateful to share time with an accomplished voice actor that is the computer voice of the starship La Serena on Star Trek Picard, the voice of Belrock in Wizards, as well as Anna in Laura Croft, Rise of the Tomb Raider. On today's episode, Kay reminds us that the audition really is the job and that there is no expiration date on your career. She also agrees to read my view on the sitting at the kids table for Thanksgiving. Get ready to feast your ears on the versatile voice of reason for the holiday season, K-Bess. That spark of electricity, a skipping stone that sets you free, or captive to a mystery, the curse of creativity. La, 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 la. Hello, Kay. Hello, Pat Hazel. (laughs) Thank you for having me. We met at a club in Santa Monica called At My Place. Yes. Which was a great a jazz club, I guess I would call it, but yep. it, it was a music showcase club. And some yep. of the greats came through there. And I was a fledgling opening act that would go on before them. And you were bartending and waiting. Now you've gone on to so many great things. You're really deeply involved in voiceover work and promo and voice acting and, and coaching Yes. Because I think it's a little bit mysterious to people. It all gets done, but they don't know looping from a promo. Tell us the difference between voiceover and voice acting. I don't really perceive a difference there. And I say that only because I come from an acting background. Voiceover for me has always been an offshoot of commercial acting. And so that's the approach that I came to it with. But there are many, many, many thousands of people who come to voice acting from say radio, um, they're DJs or, you know, somebody told them they had a great voice and they bought some equipment and have a great internet connection and (laughs) bought and bought a mic. They're doing corporate narration or e-learning stuff and they, and they don't come from radio. They don't come from an acting background. That's a piece of what I teach in my coaching is like, how do you take people who don't have an acting background and give them some acting tools to, so that they can approach various forms of voiceover. And for me, It's always been about acting, even if it's a commercial. We should never be speaking in a vacuum like I do acting, like I am speaking to someone and I have an objective and I want them to do something and I want them to respond to me by virtue of what I'm saying and how I say it. That's always been to me what acting is. I apply that even to a commercial. I never speak for no reason, even if mine is the first line. You know, then I have to use my imagination to figure out what someone has just said to me that I'm responding to. I like that. The thing that I think is really fascinating about it is that you are often in a booth by yourself. Like you're not acting the scene always with the other person. So in a video game animation or something, you're probably just reading your lines. Is that right? That is correct. Yes. It's almost like who framed Roger Rabbit. There's nothing around you at all. Yeah. 
then you move into the realm of employing your imagination, which is, you know, the basis of Meisner technique. And for, for those who don't know, can you just give us an overview of the Meisner technique? Yes. Well, Meisner, Meisner's famous saying, let's see if I can remember it, is acting is defined as behaving truthfully, behaving truthfully in imaginary circumstances. That's his definition of what it is to act. And so we're always, as actors, employing our imagination to place ourselves in circumstances that are not actually happening. So we, we have to make it up. It's really like being a kid, right? I mean, you experience that as a parent where our kids are just, they so often live in the realm of their imagination. They're fully present and invested in it. And there's no question, but that they've made that real for themselves. That's the goal is to make something that you've conjured in your imagination, according to what's in the script uh, and according to the, who the character is, that you make that real. I think in video games nowadays, that for me is where it really comes into play. Just as an example, if I may, unless you... No, did, no, did please. You, I was going to okay. say, I was going to ask you to describe some scenarios because you've been in Tomb Raider. You've been in a lot of these things where you're put in heightened circumstances. So yeah, yeah whatever example you've got, I'd love to hear them. It came out this year. I am. I worked for, I think, over two years on The Last of Us 2, which just won like game of the year, the, the video game awards. I just want to say, my son plays these, they're narrative games. Yes. So we're aware of The Last of Us and The Last of Us 2. Okay, cool. Well, I am one of the seraphites in the game. It's a particular sect. It's like a religious sect. And they're extraordinarily violent. And just really, they're a very strange sect because they're very sort of calm and quiet. And then they just, they destroy their enemy with, in no uncertain terms, right? I worked, I did probably 20, 25 sessions on this game over the course of about two years. This was unusual. Normally I would work alone in the booth um, at a studio with engineers and very controlled sound and all that. It was really, really interesting so we're recreating, you know, scenarios where we're moving through the forest and we see the enemy and we like all those sorts of things. But the thing I really wanted to mention was all the many, many ways that one dies in a video game. <laughs> and and it's crazy because it's kind of like, all right, it's death week in, in video game land as we're recording. And so it would be like, first, you're going to die by being shot. We'll start just with the injury. So you're getting shot in the shoulder. So it's like, ah, right, that, you know, <laughs> so you, you get shot in the shoulder, you get, you get stabbed in the gut, you get, you know, impaled, you, you get your leg blown off, you get, can, you, can, um, we, can we just play a game right now where I name, <laughs> I want to name ways for you to die. And then I want to hear you respond. Oh Come it's on. torture. No, I know, it's but just, just for okay. fun. Just sure. Like, because, All right, I want to blow my mic out. But well, <laughs> maybe just step back a little bit because you're about to get right. a pitchfork in the back. Okay. All right. Is that what you want? Yeah, I want a pitchfork in the back. Okay. You ready? <laughs> okay. How's that? Okay. Good. Now you've just been shot in the eye with a paintball. Okay. <laughs> I mean, those kinds of things are like, it's the, like the slow rip across the throat, you know, that's like, <laughs> you know, like stuff like that. But the thing that slayed me, like we got to a certain point in this session where it was like death after death after death. And he was like, okay, so here's sort of the big finish. 
you're going to die by fire. A Molotov cocktail has been thrown at your feet. You are subsequently ignited, right? And you die by fire. Could be slow, right? It can be you're, you're inflamed, but you're not dead like a bullet can kill you. Correct. It's like it's coming up your leg. It's like, how do you stop it? You know, it's that sort of, and then you get engulfed in it. And so I did this whole thing and I'm thinking to myself, what would that be like? You know, my initial thought of like trying to tamp out the fire uh, and not, and that not being successful and just the progression of it up your body. So I do this and the, and the voice director says to me, um, just out of concern, right? Cause my voice is getting thrashed. If you think about pitching it kind of higher in your register, that way you're you're not going to sort of shred your vocal cords. You know, I've been working with this guy for two years. So I said, I'm not thinking about my vocal cords. I'm thinking about fire going up my leg and engulfing me. Right. And I think that that is actually where my thoughts should be, because if they're on my vocal cords, I'm not in the imagination of the thing happening. And, and he was like, fair enough. That's a piece of the sacrifice of you have to engage in the belief of it. And it's a part of what I teach on a smaller level, which is in voiceover, it's not really about the quality of your voice. It's about whether I believe you. So people can have ordinary voices and be extraordinary voice talent. And people can have really interesting People tell me I have a fabulous voice, you know, and, th and they're awful because they can't act. You don't believe them. There's only one kind of movie phone guy, right? Like <laughs> those people, that's what I would call promo voice, that it's yeah. much more about the dominance of the, yes. you know, say yeah. the product loud and proud. Yeah, for sure. But even there, even trailer voices are so, you still believe them. They really place themselves into the horror or to the mystery or to the joy or whatever is happening in the trailer that they're voicing or the, the story that they're introducing. Like they're, it's not just about the sound of their voice, even though it seems to most people like it is because they do have extraordinary voices for that particular genre of voiceover. Right. And, and sometimes you are cast because of the quality or yes. tone. There have been a few times where I've had you do things for me where I sent them away and I said to somebody, we need somebody that can pull off a warm medical device. It has to be inviting. You know, we, we made that crazy thing called data flow. It was essentially a thermometer you stuck in the side of your computer to check and see if it was constipated. And what's funny is I, I called it a, a, a correctal thermometer. And, and the first time you read it, you sent it back and it was a correct all as if to correct all the problems with communication. I did want it to sound like rectal. So yes. it was a correctal thermometer. Yes. But what was so hilarious to me is that you didn't do any of it as a joke. You right. did it as a very important medical device. Is your computer sluggish or stopped up? Maybe it's time for a data dump. Don't just sit there. Get irregularities flowing with Dataflow, a clinical solution for constipated computers. Simply insert our thumb drive therapist into your favorite porthole, and it will analyze, organize, and remove any blockage faster than you can say Super Data Analytic Clog Eliminator. Dataflow, the number two name in computer correctal thermometers. We're not number one, but we're right up there. There's an authenticity to 
every voice you choose, even when you're doing a character voice or an animation, they're yeah. they're real in their world. I think one of the things <laughs> that you tapped into a little earlier that I'd like to revisit is when you said how when children play, yeah. they have a lot of inhibitions. They're fr a little freer. Like yes. when people get older, they seem to start to judge themselves and worry yeah. about what people think of them. And so the self-acceptance and the self-sabotage become kind of the biggest obstacle, don't they? Tell me about that, essentially, the giving yourself permission to play. Yeah. I've been doing voiceover for about 35 years. Most of my career, I have done commercial work and promo work. And those are pretty buttoned up genres. And they're, they're not hard for me. And I do have a pleasing, warm sound to my voice. And I articulate well, thanks to the environment I grew up in. You know, my mother was an English teacher and spoke beautifully. She's a poet. And my father is a pastor. And so he was an orator. So I just grew up around language. And they both love language. Totally fortunate in that regard. But it really didn't require much of me, frankly for a long time in my career. And I would say I, I picked up challenging things in voiceover along the way, like, like really learning how to do affiliate work, which is promo for news TV stations, right? It's, there's only one way to read that kind of a spot. It's a formula and you learn it and that's how it's done. And then also coming to do live announcing uh, for broadcast live announcing, like for the Oscars or for the Golden Globes or the Film Independent Spirit Awards, you know, stuff like that. That's a challenge in and of itself because you are live and there you run the risk of making a mistake where millions of people are listening. It's not one take. It's one time, right? It's, it's one not even time. Take. It is live. And if you fumble over a word, you pick yourself up and you keep going. Nothing stops for you. It keeps rolling about seven years ago, my career just kind of started to fall a little flat. The nature of voiceover has changed dramatically over the years. And so it makes sense. And combine that with my age and the people are always kind of coming up and which is as it should be. But I was like, what am I going to do? I'm either going to learn something new in voiceover or I'm going to retire and do something else for a living. And after thinking about it for a while, I thought I've invested so much in this career. Like this is what I do. I'm going to learn something new. And so I asked my agents to, if they would send me animation and video game copy and they agreed. And so I started auditioning and, you know, I felt like I was okay. And through a series of events, I ended up getting some feedback from a casting director for a role that I thought I was perfect for. It was a role she, she sang, you know, and I was really pleased with my audition and I felt like, all right, you know, I finally hit it, finally gotten to where I'm competitive. And the casting director was like, yeah, it was all right. You know, it wasn't, you know, it was a good audition, but I didn't feel like she was really connected to the character that she was speaking to. And, and I thought, wow, that's a great piece of information. <laughs> And I thought, well, Kay Bess, you came to Los Angeles in 1981 to be an actor. And so you better brush up your skills. I enrolled in a two-year acting program in Meisner Technique at, at the Ruskin Theater in Santa Monica. And three months into that, I started booking video games. There's a piece of that experience of going through an acting class where 
you're on the line every week, two nights a week, and you're being challenged and it's difficult and you fail and yet you keep coming back and you keep taking risks. And, and I found over time that I just became a risk taker. And at the same time, video games are very naturalistic. They're not exaggerated like animation is. It's heightened in a way, but it's pretty naturalistic. It's the difference between, you know, in a video game, you might play a real person and an animated thing, you might be playing a goat. So it took me four years before I booked anything in animation. And so through the process of auditioning, and I want to say that's hundreds of auditions that I did before I booked something, but in the process of it solidified the, the idea that the audition really is the job. You really must view every audition as the thing where all your skills are required. You have to bring them all to the table, right? You don't wait for it to, to be booked before you bring your best. And so through the course of that, I found myself just getting better and braver and wackier and sillier. And then I would get a couple of callbacks. And then one day I got a booking and then I got another one. And then, and I got really sort of a stable player at DreamWorks animation. Like I've, they've just called me to do stuff without even an audition seven years later. Right. But, but once you're known as a, a reliable utility player, yes, I just want a little voice from you. When you talked about wacky and braver and sillier, I heard something on one of your websites um, from Skylanders uh, superchargers, like the queen cumulus or something. Yes. Can you share a little cumulus, bit of that? Yeah. It seemed like you were referencing that this was a voice that you used to amuse your husband and it became this somewhat melded into this character or no? That is, that's absolutely right. Like I would sort of, absolutely, you know, it's sort of this type of voice. And I would say, oh, I think that was the sound that made my, you know, my husband and my daughter laugh like, oh, oh, like I was going to lose my right. lunch or something. And, and, and I realized I did sort of realize, oh, that's, that's a character like that. That's a care. And that was the first character I booked. I, I had a really wonderful conversation with Frank Oz, who does all kinds of voices, yeah. but, but they aren't, he, they aren't characters he makes up. They become, they are a real thing. Just as you say, when you're acting, you are that person and there's an authenticity to some part of yourself that takes it to the place where you can be that character and do whatever lines or motions are required Yes. Within yeah. the reading, right? Like, isn't that what happens when you put that lens on that once you're reading in that voice, the tone or the lilt comes really from being it more than yes. thinking about it. Yes, absolutely. And, and, and sometimes with, I mean, I'm no expert in animation by any stretch. Like I have friends who've done animated, they've done hundreds of animated characters and they have done it for 40 years and they create stuff like I can't even begin. It's like, how do you do that? I, it's amazing to me. So I'm just really a beginner at it. Right. But, um, but every once in a while, you know, I'll come up with something and it'll be like, Oh, I like, I'll listen back and think that doesn't even sound like me. Like it's, it's so enveloped by it that, that I, I have disappeared, you know, but I did a, I did a character where I played a, a goat <laughs> sister. There were, there are three of the, we were the goat, sisters. And we made cheese, of course, and it was magic. And I remember thinking about this character and I, the way it was described, you know, she was a little bit dimwitted and, 
and older, right? We're all older goats. I thought of Betty White and I thought of who played Georgette in um, Mary Tyler Moore, like oh, Ted Knight's the girlfriend. The name eludes me, but I know exactly who you're talking yeah. about. She's really wonderful. Right? Fantastic. She was, you know, and when I thought of the two of them. I, I thought of this sort of melded uh, Georgette's dimwittedness and Betty White's flippant, that sort of piece. And, and I kind of brought them together and it worked. And it reminded me that a friend of mine who does he does a lot of promo work now, but he used to do some animation stuff. And, and his whole thing in creating characters was to imitate celebrities badly. Um, right. and so that you're not taking their essence, but you have a sense yeah. of yeah, familiarity. Yeah, exactly. And, and imitate your family like dead on, right? Do, do your best to be exactly how they are. Just that little tip kind of becomes the basis for something. It's just a place to start. That's the thing that kept me for years from doing animation was I was afraid to start. I had no idea how to begin. And I realized that to begin, you just have to be willing to be bad. So when you combine these two female voices and you were putting it in the mouth of a 60 year old goat, what do you use when you get into that think it's just a a place that you go uh, when you just place it somewhere in in the aperture of your mouth and and you begin placement is really interesting that's another that's another fascinating tool about how you hold your mouth like i could start with it like a gruff character like you know i'm the sheriff of the town and then if i just pull my lips back and then i've got i add this sort of thing here and it becomes there's another dimension to it Right. A person who's got like a speech impediment that she's trying to get over. But you start with one place and you you add something, even accents. You know, you add if you're familiar with Rob Paulson, he he he's pinky, pinky in the brain. You know, he sort of has this character that's up here. But then he then he then he threw a British accent on it. So pinky's a Brit. I think it's starting somewhere and then layering things. And a lot of times you can. If they send you a picture of the character that you're animating, you can get a clue. If somebody's drawn with an overbite, so the picture will help you figure out where to place it. Sure. And I would think when directing, we always say to them, what's going on for this character? Are they curious? Are they nosy? Right. We'll lead with your nose. See where it takes you, right? Right. Play a little bit with the physical part of it. Yeah. You are a shooting star, a lifelong stranger to solid ground. La, 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 la. La, 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 la. No duty is greater than that of giving thanks. As a Thanksgiving treat, I have asked K Bass to read my take on what it's like sitting at the kids' table. Kids' Table by Pat Hazel. Sequestered seven year olds fidget below turkey silhouettes. Silverware clatters like a pirate fight. Bendy straws bring milk to a boil. Alice wants to know why the cranberry has rings. Sarah sculpts potato people. Lily likes dessert first. Justin pouts about not getting a drumstick. Spoons catapult rolls airborne. Dogs feast on falling crumbs. The wishbone submits in a tug of war. Eggnog sloshes in bloated bellies. Whipped cream leaps in peaks from pie to face. It's a day of grace. Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. 
who eats the fastest gets the most. Rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. Yay, God. Heaven and hell on a carousel. You feel it go round and round and round and round. La, 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 la. Now back to my discussion with voice actor Kay Bass. One of the things that you said earlier that I really want to put a pin in for everybody is doing that audition as if that alone is the job, because all directors would love to discover somebody ready to work. They don't want to have to bring a performance out or trick you into something or go outside your range. Casting is so critical to success for directors Yes, and, and relationships. That's what's hard for actors is that sometimes you're casting a couple or you're casting an ensemble and you go, Ooh, I already have that element. I can't have it twice. So sometimes not getting the job does not mean you're not amazing. And oftentimes nailing auditions as if you're doing the job gets you those other referrals or the callback to something else we need them. I tell you in sitcom land, I did that a few times. They go, we need a 70 year old guy who still lives at home with his parents. I go, call Everett Greenbaum. (laughs) Don't even put out a casting call. Call Everett Greenbaum, get him over here. We'd written all this material for him where he apparently rode a bike, parked it in the bike rack. He behaved like a 16 year old, even though he was 70. And our goal was to sort of get ageism out of it. Right. That was the humor. And it came from a sign that I saw as a kid in a Shakey's pizza parlor. Shakey's. They had this wood burn sign that said, come in on your hundredth birthday with your parents and get a free pizza. The, the with your parents was, was like, one day I'm going to find that person. That is fantastic. It, it is fun. It's fun to make this stuff up, but it's also fun to see it be authentic enough to feel real in the circumstances of yeah. whatever that situation yeah. is. In The Last of Us too was interesting because a lot of times when you get video game copy, there's no context there. Everything's under NDA. Nobody's giving you a clue about anything. And so we get these disparate lines, like six lines, you know, kind of a rookie mistake, which I made plenty of times is that you try to connect the lines, but they're not, they're from different scenes. They're not supposed to be connected. And so every line needs context. So in comes your imagination, like, I don't know what's happening here, so I have to make something up. And of course, most actors would be like, well, what if I imagine the wrong thing? I mean, I don't know if I've imagined this line correctly. And what happened was I just made a choice. I think the line, I was calling somebody's name like, Darren, Darren. And I chose to be worried about this person. Maybe he's my son and I'm looking for him. So I've got some fear going on. It's dark. I'm in the seraphites and (laughs) bad things are going to happen. So that's how I did it. And I I chose a circumstance for each of those six lines. It was booked for one session and uh, at the very, very, very beginning. And I said something like, do you want to play for me what I did? So I know what I did that you liked. And they said, sure. Although... We're not going to have you do that. It's a completely different thing. And I said, oh, that's so interesting. Why did you cast me? And they said, because you made a strong choice. And so we knew what you had imagined, even though that's not the scenario. That is something that anybody listening should understand that in creativity, 
making strong choices, yes. having a point of view, yes. expressing yourself authentically yes. will always shine through. It's yeah. the it beacon of light. When I was very early auditioning, I didn't know anything about it. I would go into NBC. I would sit down a, across from somebody in the comedy department. And they would say, hey, read this copy. And I would read it. And then I would go home. And, I, and there was never a callback. There was never anything. And then it occurred to me, oh, they don't want to see if I can read. Like, <laughs> right, right, right. right. I had done, uh, you know, dozens of these where I was like, I read every word. They don't give a shit about the word. Right. So they felt like we knew that she could make a choice. And that's what we wanted. If we could say, here's your scenario, this actor would be able to say, I got it. I can see it. And I can step up to that. That was a huge lesson for me. I think a lot of voice actors, because they are auditioning from home, they get a piece of copy like that and they go, I don't know what the casting director wants. What, what if they want this? I could do it that way, but what if they want this over here? No, I can't do that because that might be wrong. So I'm just going to choose something in the middle. And in the middle is nothing, is nowhere. It's safe and it's, you've required nothing of yourself. Making the choice, even if the choice is wrong, Adding up all of those little experiences, I think, is what has made me a brave actor. I think bravery <laughs> is a part of all acting and, and, yeah. and all writing. For frankly, every time a writer faces a blank page, it's an act of courage to write it and give it to somebody else. Now, you're in a very collaborative business yes, because there is a relationship. It's a joy for me to write something and give it to somebody like you who can amplify it and make it better and bring it to life. You know, sometimes I hear it afterwards and I go, oh, I think I overdid that. It's not that often that somebody, particularly theater actors and voiceover folks, it's like, is this what you really want? I'll make it work. I'll bring magic to this. And and if especially if you're selling my product, I don't yes. want you messing around with the thing or putting something silly on it. Yeah. Let me start with a collaborative process because this is a, such a big deal to me. It's a piece of my understanding of what makes a successful voice actor. And you'll hear a lot in voiceover coaching. This, I think it's a terrible, terrible habit to instill into voice actors. And I understand they're using it as sort of an acting exercise, but nonetheless, it's bad habit. When a coach will say, disregard the punctuation. Make it your own. Add a line there. Start with a, you know, start with something. Give yourself a line beforehand. And I just think, wow, that's, that doesn't serve the thing because that's not how it is on the job ever, ever. I acknowledge that there's a big difference between the quality of the writing for a local car dealership and a national brand imaging car spot. These guys, these are the biggest ad budgets in the flipping world. They have hired the best writers on the planet. These guys are being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars every year at a prestigious advertising agency to write great stuff. And so they mean every word and they mean every piece of punctuation. Honor it. That's like a big piece of my coaching. And that's how we become collaborative. We work with what we have been given for TV, especially there's picture involved here and there's music involved here. So voice actors who think for a TV spot that they have to carry the emotional weight 
of the spot will always be in conflict with the picture and they'll be in conflict with the music because they're not letting the music be the music. They think they have to be the music and then they're overdoing everything. We're learning to understand your part in the creation of these little 60 second films, which is what they are learning to understand your place in it. And, and it's a good place. It's not, it's not a lesser place. It's distinct. It's very specific. I, I, that relationship between the voice and the music, which happens a lot, there's always a, lot. a bed of music somewhere that's carrying that emotion or carrying the tone. Yes. When we did, I had you read the fake uh, hotel chain I made up during the yes. pandemic. When for quarantine, we had the Shelter Inn Staycation yes. Resort. Shelter Inn Staycation Resorts takes no place like home to the next level. From Daytona Beach to your driveway, it's the number one choice for hometown guests everywhere. Each property comes equipped with family-style meals, homeschool facilities, a 24-hour laundry room, and a self-service hair salon. You can consider our staff your family. Whether you're company quarantining or isolation vacationing, please consider the Shelter Inn Staycation Resorts. It's not only a great resort, it's the last resort. All of it was so Hampton Inn, but when we put the music bed with it and we added the crazy images of selling people their own home as their getaway, it was really important that you didn't put so much yes. import into every word. Yes. That you were just... Here are the amenities. Yeah. And you let the picture do its job and you let the music do its job. So I love that piece of the collaborative effort, even when you're auditioning. And so you don't have the picture and you don't have the music when you're auditioning, you still have to read it like those things are there. And when that kind of an audition is received, the casting people or the, or the director go, this person understands their place in the piece. We could take what she just recorded and we could place it in our spot because she has understood what's going on and what her role is in the commercial. We often do that. We often have a temp voice and there's been, I don't know how many times that I've done directed a commercial where somebody even in the studio reads a temp voice. We build a picture on it. We go, Hey, we like that for Yeah. Like, I don't know why we have to change Bob yeah, out. Yeah. He did great. I mean, sometimes we know we do, but surprisingly when we're hearing the right, the nature of it being, you know, on the money and human and authentic. There's, there's a place for big character voices. There's a place for comedy, all those things. But if you want a testimonial of somebody in the right age range with the right moment and the right emotion and you nail it, yeah, they will hear that. Yes. Early on myself and many actors included, they're like, Oh, I could do this. If I just had the scenery and the guy to react to it's like, yeah, we need somebody <laughs> who can do that right now. We don't need it. Once we, put you in the yes. costume and do your hair. Which all boils back down to your willingness to employ your imagination. I know that you're an introvert by nature, even though your characters and your playfulness is yeah. extroverted in ways, or maybe you're an introvert, extroverty kind of person, but being an introvert and then understanding that maybe you had challenges when you were younger, did that impact your confidence growing up? I, yes, I was a stutterer. I still sort of am a stutterer. Like I find myself stuttering in any kind of circumstance where I feel, uh, threatened, sort of emotionally threatened. Like I, what I'm going to say will be rejected. So it sort of becomes this act of, again, of bravery of like, I'm going to speak the truth here and then I'll 
trip up that mechanism in me, right? So it wasn't ever an issue of speech mechanics per se. It was really an emotional response to to things. It's an ongoing process, you know, learning how to speak the truth, you know, that you experience, right? I would say that I started singing very young. And, you know, as I mentioned, my dad uh, was a pastor. He's retired. He's, he'll be 93 in January. But I sang in church, heard that story a lot. And people were sort of like, oh my goodness, this girl can sing. That became a big part of my understanding of myself and what I was destined for. I started singing out. I did singing competitions. I So even though you were an introvert, though, once you found your voice as a singer, were you nervous singing publicly? Oh, there was always a piece of terror in it. Yes. But I loved singing. I did it. And then it's a funny story when I was in my adulthood. I started singing and then I, and then I started doing plays and things like that. And I found that I could do that and put myself out in front of people for a period of time. And then I retreated, I would retreat. Like I wasn't the person who then went out and partied with everybody after shows and stuff like that. So I went to college, I went to USC and dropped out of college largely due to anxiety issues. I panicked and I didn't even know what it was. It was just what that feeling of like, I have to get out of here. And so it, it was in that space of time where after I dropped out of college that I found a voiceover class, which was really unusual. Took a class, took another class, made a demo, got an agent, booked a job. And there, that's how my career it flowed. But each of those things probably were little bricks in your confidence, the approval or the acceptance or the job. Yes. Well, and voiceover was also like, oh, I'm comfortable behind a microphone in a studio without it. There's no audience there. You know, that was a great piece of ease for me to exhale. It didn't, I could do the work. It was union. I was an actor, but I didn't have to sort of suffer the agony of live performance recording was, it was the milieu for me. Like I could, I was very comfortable there. You know, it wasn't until I was 40, I was like, well, I guess I'm not going to be a singer. <laughs> well, you're, you're quite, well, a, you're quite you. a good singer. I can attest to that, but reframing failure is something that you wrote about in yes. a blog or you talked about on your podcast, yes. by the way, is the beehive, the beehive podcast.com. It's there. Just so everyone knows you're interviewing female voiceover folks that have done all kinds of things that they may not recognize, but you're digging a yeah. little bit deeper and having uh, conversations yes. on that. But you mentioned reframing failure and you just said, I'm not going to be right. a singer. So was that one of the moments where you thought, Oh, all is lost. That was really interesting because I had just recorded, like I was friends with this really successful Grammy winning songwriter and he had asked me to sing on a demo that he was submitting to Faith Hill. I was 40 years old. And, you know, I'd always sort of produced my own stuff. And, but oh my God, the, the vocal that he got out of me, he directed me, he gave me a few tips. Cliff Magnus is his name. He's just, just a fantastic songwriter and producer and um, did a lot of work with American Idol. But, I went by his house and I picked up the, a copy of it when it was done. 
I put it in my, my CD player in my car and I, I just burst into tears because I thought, oh my God, I could have been a contender. You know, it was a moment of like, I was never surrounded by the right people, the, that whole collaborative effort that I really, as a singer, needed to collaborate with, with a producer who knew how to pull out a performance. And so it was bittersweet. I loved that experience so much. But the business that I grew up understanding and knowing, uh, 40-year-olds don't, don't get record deals. That's just like, it's a game of youth. And, you know, I was not the sort of the new thing coming up. I, and I, re, I realize it's, that's real. That's reality. Could I have forged my way making record? Absolutely. You know, and I could have made my own stuff, distributed it myself and done what people do now. But it, it was an interesting moment where I kind of let go of it. And I feel like that was a shift where I, what I really moved into there was parenthood. Like I, gave birth to my daughter two weeks before my 41st birthday. That shifted my creative energy, which is like, it's the epitome of creative energy, right? To make a baby, to make a human. Right. And also, also interestingly, to put something else first, right? Even before yourself or your interest or your passion or your sleep. Yes. All of that. Yeah. You have picked a couple of things now that I would say to you, all of this stuff that you do in regardless of whether it's narrative on an audio book or promoting some brand. It's ageless. Yeah. You age, your voice ages with the the kind of client that you have yes. or need. The, the fear is that you're going to choose a profession like ice dancer. And then if your partner leaves or you weigh too much yeah. or your Olympic gold is tarnished, yeah. then there's nothing yeah. left. And, and so the idea that at age 52, that I could reinvent myself inside of a voice acting career is remarkable. And I often tell my coaching clients when they say, I have to get a demo. I have to, I have to get it done. I have to, I have to, I have to. And there's this, and I'm like, you know what? There's no expiration date on your career. Learn what you need to learn. When you choose a bigger banner for your craft, when your craft is expressing yeah. yourself, when your craft is creativity, yes. when your craft is opening your imagination to create worlds, whatever that is, if it's bigger than something that's a specific dollar amount, or if it's a specific, I want to win the, you know, the beauty pageant, some of that is really, really limited. Yes. And I only say from experience that what I didn't realize when I was younger is that I was learning to be a producer the whole yeah. time. Yes. Because I had a magic act and in a magic act, you're doing tricks and you're performing whatever, but you have to get the money to buy the props. You have to fix the stuff. You have to book it. And then when I moved into sitcom writing, I was still every step of the way. What I was becoming was a better producer, a better communicator, a more creative guy. So creativity became the center tent pole. And all of the other things were like, oh, this is transferable. Yes, absolutely. And that's what I think hopefully everybody understands. The beauty of this podcast is that we're talking to people of all kinds of disciplines. Yes. You're a singer and a voiceover person. We talked to Pink's aerialist choreographer. We talked Great. to an animator, a puppeteer, a ventriloquist, a director, a Broadway choreographer, a, a cellist who came ah. on, uh, Jen Cornell. 
amazing things that are coming from these people. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so grateful for you to share uh, everything that you have, your wit and your wisdom, your depth and your daring, um, <laughs> because uh, you are an exceptional voiceover actor and coach. But more than that, you're just a great human being. Yeah. And I, I encourage people to get to know you better. You. Listen for your voice in, in all kinds of places. My son did say regarding The Last of Us, oh, I probably killed her a few times. <laughs> I threw a Molotov cocktail at my feet and I died by fire. I do want to say, I have to brag on this because one of my favorite, favorite, favorite jobs that I ever did, which happened to be also probably one of the easiest jobs I've ever done. Last year, I booked the role of the starship La Serena in uh, Star Trek Picard. I'm like a big Star Trek nerd. And I love TNG and Voyager. And booking that role was like... This was the voice of a computer or artificial intelligence. It's Picard's ship. I'm the voice of the ship. Just the best thing ever. I mean, who doesn't love Majel Barrett, right? Like the voice of, of the Enterprise, right? Like, And so it came as an audition that was you know, disguised. I didn't know what it was for. And I almost passed on it. It was like, I was tired. It was late. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to get this in. And then I saw that it was an artificial intelligence. And I thought, well, that I can do in my sleep. So I'll just, so I went in and I recorded it. And then a couple of weeks later, it was like, you, you booked that thing. And then I was like, and then they sent the script and stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, like what just happened here? So I just want to say too, like, in the midst of all of that, to you know, to be sort of on the eve, not the eve, but very close to my 60th birthday, right? And to book this thing that the idea that I am part of the Star Trek canon, you know, it's like just amazing. And so I think that's a piece of how I encourage the students that I have that you don't even know what dreams you'll have as you travel through your life and and what will become sort of the feather in your cap. You just have to keep walking, walking toward the dream you've got now. And when that one is fulfilled on some level, you just keep, or if it's not, and you have to change direction, you just keep reimagining your life and your talent and what it is that you want to do. Then if you keep all of that open, good things come. Just keep, keep doing what's required of you every step along the way. And you just, who knows what will come? You know, I could not have imagined that that job 10 years ago, there's no chance. I really, I'm so grateful that you were willing to share all of your insights. I think there's a lot to learn from actors, voiceover folks, and just people in general chasing a dream. Uh, Those final statements you made are really, really powerful. Oh, thank you. So I wish you you. continued success. Thank you so much. I adore you. Thank you for spending I adore you too. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. Take a moment to subscribe and you will always have an invitation to join us for more creative conversation and a weekly spark of inspiration. Our show is a production of Sweetwood Creative in Austin, Texas under Wizbank producer, Amanda Rosenberg with editing by the surgeon of sound, Casey Franco. Our original music theme was written and sung by Maya Sharp with additional production support and technical wizardry from Delilah Lovejoy, Tony Deo, Tucker Hazel, and Diane Johansson. Please feel free to share your input or dash off a review on social media to help grow our creative community. You can find us on Instagram at Pat Hazel with two L's, on Facebook, or visiting our website at creativityincaptivity.fun. That's right, it's .fun. 
because dot-com is not fun. Cheers. Staring at an empty page, stepping on a ghostlit stage, a circus of a